Thank you for downloading this podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. So before we get into the full article about Helvetius, here's a little bit more about him. Claude Adrian Helvetius was born on January 25, 1715 in Paris into a family of noted physicians. Taught by private tutor until 11, Claude attended France's leading school, the Jesuits Louis Legrand, to prepare Helvetius for the remunerative post of tax collector. His father apprenticed him to his uncle, already in such a position. At Cain, Helvetius studied more than finance. He wrote poetry. He read John Locke, Baron de Montesquieu, Thomas Hobbes, Voltaire, and Sir Isaac Newton, and he indulged himself in the pleasures of the town. Through influence of the queen, his father procured for Helvetius a post as tax collector. This position required him to travel much in the provinces, and he became painfully aware of the state of the rural economy. From 1738 to 1751, his home was Paris. Handsome, a good dancer, with a great passion for women, he circulated vigorously in Parisian society, but by 1749 he longed for a life of repose so as to write. In 1751, he married and retired to a country estate at Vaux. By 1755, Helvetius had produced De l'Esprit. On July 15, 1758, the book was offered for sale in Paris. By early August, difficulties began for Helvetius and lasted until his death in 1771. He was exiled for two years from Paris, and the sale of his book was forbidden. Publicly burned, placed on the index, condemned by a Jansenist and Jesuit alike, the work was attacked even by other philosophers. Some of them found it narrow and empty, others thought its boldness frightening. In 1764, Helvetius visited England, and in 1765, Prussia. He was struck by the great disparity of wealth found among the free English. England's commercialism, he said, had made corruption legal. Except for these tours and occasional trips to Paris, Helvetius's remaining years were spent at Vor, and were for him rather melancholy ones. Harvests were poor, and attacks of gout prevented his participation in sports, which in addition to women were said to be his real passion. By 1769, Helvetius had finished De Homme and turned to reworking his early poem, Du Bonaire. On December 4, 1771, he and his family left Vor for the winter stay in Paris. On December 26, following severe gout attacks, Helvetius died surrounded by his family. Helvetius taught that man depended for all his knowledge on sensation and that his motives were those of self-love. For Helvetius, the truly virtuous man is he who finds his pleasure, not just his obligation, in working for the common good. Most religions, he held, were ineffectual and offered hypocritical bases for morality. Differences in men's behavior stem from differences in station and education rather than from inherent differences. So, legislation that pertains to the structure of society and education accorded to all by the state are the fit means to procure an increase in man's happiness. In economics, too, Helvetius' views were radical, and he traced the unhappiness of men and nations to unequal distribution of wealth. Further reading 
A good recent work on Helvetius is David Warner Smith, Helvetius, A Study in Persecution, 1965, Mordecai Grossman, The Philosophy of Helvetius with a Special Emphasis on the Educational Implications of Sensationalism, 1926, is still a useful introduction. For Helvetius as an educational theorist, see Ian Cumming, Helvetius, His Life and Place in the History of Educational Thought, 1955. Irving Louise Horowitz, Claude Helvetius, Philosopher of Democracy and Enlightenment, is a forthright appreciation of Helvetius's political and economic thought and influence. The following article is about Claude Adrian Helvetius, who was a French philosopher, Freemason, and literateur. So Helvetius was born January 26, 1715, and died December 26, 1771. So the following article is from a journal called 18th Century Studies, Volume 15, Number 4, Summer of 1982. The title of the article is In Search of Helvetius' Early Career as a Freemason by Gordon R. Silber. The purpose of this study is to review the scant information that we have about Claude Adrian Helvetius as a Freemason and to add to it. What has been known about his Masonic activity is his role in inspiring the creation of the Lodge de Nifsur, which finally became a reality right only after his death, out of an ambition to see the Masonic order take an active and useful part in the intellectual and artistic life of its time. Helvetius' actual Masonic career, however, has been almost entirely a matter of conjecture. The documents which show that he was a Freemason early, that is, while still a fermier general at the end of the 1740s, seem to have remained unknown up to now to specialists in the history of Freemasonry. To these, we can now add a previously unknown Masonic poem, which is dated and establishes that, in fact, Helvetius was a member of a lodge in Paris as early as 1747. We have so little firm information about the early Paris lodges and their membership before the middle of the century that each newly discovered item takes on a certain significance, either for the history of Freemasonry or the biography of the individual Freemason, or both. Thus, in the present instance, the establishment of the very early presence as a Freemason of Helvetius, youthful fermier general, and scion of a family enjoying a privileged status vis-à-vis the royal family, is important to those studying the recruitment and social composition of the order. Equally important is the establishment of this early date of his Masonic membership for Helvetius biography. Since the 1740s were a period of his apprenticeship as a philosophe, some may wish to speculate about possible interactions between his ideas and the constantly proclaimed Masonic preoccupation with the ideals of wisdom, virtue, and happiness. The general fact that Helvetius was a Freemason is a matter of common knowledge because it was mentioned incidentally in a detailed formal account of the Masonic initiation of Voltaire in the Loge de Neufsur on 7th of April, 1778, soon after his triumphal return to Paris and shortly before his death. This account appeared in the letter for December 1778 of the Correspondence Littéraire of Grimm and his Associates. Here the subscribers read that the ceremony of 7th April was conducted by a venerable or worshipful master of the lodge, the astronomer Jérôme de Lalande, and were told that at the end of the initiation he invested Voltaire with the Masonic apron that had belonged to Helvetius. The detailed account of the whole ceremony as published in Grimm was later republished, paraphrased, quoted, or alluded to innumerable times by generations of Voltaire scholars, 
and Voltaire's gesture of affectionate admiration for Helvetius has been recalled so often that Helvetius has long been the most frequently cited example of a leading philosophe who was an active Freemason. His past identification with Freemasonry must have become common knowledge immediately. Moreover, since we learn from the Beauchemont Memoir Secret of 10th April that details of Voltaire's initiation were promptly divulged. Indeed, it seems that French Freemasons promptly began to use the names of Voltaire and Helvetius to enhance the prestige of their order, to judge from an anti-Masonic pamphlet of 1786. In it, the anonymous editor attacks Condorcet for having spoken publicly in defense of the Freemasons and adds testily that he would have been more persuasive if he had at least named specific examples of Desage Parmise members, such as Voltaire or Helvetius. Creating a lodge composed of intellectuals and artists and devoted to the cultivation of literature and the arts which tradition had placed under the tutelage of the Muses, the Nine Sisters, was an idea conceived by Helvetius. He died at the end of 1771, well before his idea could be carried out, which led Amiable, the principal authority on the Lodge de Nusur, to describe the new lodge as Helvetius file posthume. About 1766, Helvetius had founded a first intellectual lodge, the Lodge de Science, or Science, probably, about which we have only fragmentary information. We do know that Lalande was venerable of this precursor, of the Nuftsur, and we know that there were complications about its attaining official recognition, perhaps because the very idea of a scientific lodge was unconventional and probably because Helvetius had been a highly controversial figure since the publication of De l'Espirit in 1758. In any case, the Lodge de Science was finally recognized by the Grand Lodge of France early in 1772, just after Helvetius's death but it ceased to be active soon afterwards, and its name never appears on the list of lodges of the Grand Orient of France, which emerged in 1773 as the chief obedience of French Freemasonry after a period of fractional quarrels and negotiations within the order. The Masonic funeral rites of 24 January 1772, commemorating Helvetius' death, which we know about only through a reference by Hugues, a later historian of the Neufsures, must have been conducted by the Lodge des Sciences. While it took time and diplomacy on the part of Lalande to carry out Helvetius's dream of a broadly intellectual and artistic lodge named for the Nine Muses, and while the lodge probably functioned for a time before obtaining formal recognition, it was finally in a position to apply to the Grand Orient for that recognition on 11th of March, 1776, and its constitutions were granted on the 9th of July. Within a year, its original ten members had increased to 60, and in 1778, it numbered 144 members and 16 associates libres. Le Bihan has identified a total of 258 members for this period, from 1776 to 1790 as a whole. Madame Helvetius's gift of her husband's Masonic jewels and apron is only one of several examples of the ways by which what can almost be called a cult of Helvetius was established in the lodge. The cult was the result of both the loyalty of Lalande and other brothers who were devoted to the memory of Helvetius and the generosity and hospitality of his widow. Madame Helvetius had moved from Paris to suburban Autul in 1773 and was the center of a lively group of admirers, mainly intellectual and mainly male. 
The most widely known of these was, of course, Benjamin Franklin, who settled in nearby Passy in the early weeks of 1777, soon after his arrival in France. Already a Freemason of almost 50 years, he affiliated with the Neuf Sur in 1778, was given Helvetius's apron after Voltaire's death, and succeeded Lalande as Venerable in 21st May 1779, and that would be as Master. It is reasonable to accept Amiable's belief that Madame Helvetius' salon at Autul served to recruit members for the lodge, and that recruiting may have gone on just as often in the opposite direction, from lodge to salon. Without attempting to quantify this relationship, let us review the specific examples of how the close association between salon and lodge was fostered, and thus how the cult developed. And the cult is, of course, in quotes. In addition to the gift of Helvetius's apron and jewels, the following four examples are known. One, at an unknown date, presumably very early in the existence of the lodge, Madame Helvetius gave 24 copies of the posthumous first edition of her husband's Vers Trites, Le Bonheur, to the members of the Neuf Sur. One of these copies is now in the Bibliothèque Nationale, or the National Library. Two, the traditional Masonic festival of St. John the Baptist was celebrated by the Lodge at Madame Helvetius's residence at Autul in 1776 and 1777. According to Bricaire de la Dixmier's Memoire pour la Loge de Nessur, and forgive my French, Number three, we know from the same source that it was the custom of the Lodge for a member to deliver at each of its principal assemblies a eulogy of some great personage, now deceased, and that on one such occasion the Abbey Cordier de saint Firmin gave an address in praise of Helvetius. His discourse was pronounced, which means that a Lodge meeting was actually held at the residence of Madame Helvetius. Moreover, she was invited to be present to hear the eulogy of her husband. And finally, after hesitating whether they should wear their Masonic insignia in her presence, the good brothers decided that it would indeed be proper to, which in discretion being known, scandalized conventional Masonic circles. Fourth, Madame Helvetius gave a bust of her husband to the lodge. This bust, and also busts of the king, the Grand Master, the then Duc de Chartres, and Frederick II of Prussia, were displayed at Voltaire's initiation. The basic fact about Helvetius's career as a Freemason is missing in the foregoing summary of information that has long been available on the subject, when and where he was first initiated into the order. These questions have not yet been answered, but the subject has been taken up by three modern writers, to my knowledge. Two of them make no useful contribution. One, a historian writing in 1953 about the Neuf Sur and Franklin states in passing that Helvetius joined the order before he went to England in 1764. But since he cites no evidence and his article contains a number of inaccuracies, what he says must be taken as no more than a casual inference on his part. Two, in 1965, an anonymous historian writing in a French Masonic journal of research and information pointed out that while Helvetius' Masonic membership is a certainty, we are totally ignorant about the date and place of his original initiation. Having mentioned Helvetius' 1765 visit to the court of the Freemason King Frederick the Great, and then having admitted that there is no documentary basis for the idea that the Masonic spirit of Frederick's court somehow influenced Helvetius during his visit, the anonymous scholar entitled his 1965 article Anniversaire Masonique, as if to make the unwary reader think that he was saying that Helvetius did become a Freemason at Potsdam in 1765. 
1955 book on Helvetius, Cumming published the important discovery that Helvetius was already a Freemason while he was a Fermier General, which is a position he withdrew from in 1751, but this discovery seems not to have been noticed by French Masonic historians. Cummings' evidence is the following quotation from a manuscript containing succinct reports on the Fermier General who were in the office between 1720 and 1750, attributed to the Inspector de Police, Moussnier. What follows is a paragraph in French that is a quote, which I'm not even going to try to read. Thus we learn that Helvetius's Masonic career began very much earlier than scholars have tended to assume and antedates his marriage in 1751 and his decision to withdraw from the ferme and devote himself exclusively to his family and his intellectual interest. A footnote reference in Durand's remarkable study in 1971 on the Fermier-Généraux leads us to another manuscript report which contains important additional information and more details on Helvetius than are found in the version used by Cumming. Durand devotes two brief but judicious paragraphs to Helvetius's Masonic career at the beginning of his chapter on Le Fermier Macon, and refers to this second manuscript source, but only for the fact of his Masonic membership by about 1750, without adding the specific details it gives. The manuscript belongs to the series of manuscript reports attributed to Le Inspecteur Mousnier. It deals only with the fermiers in office under the bail or contract of for the years 1740 to 1750, and since it includes at least two references to appointments which are to become effective under the new tenure contract for the period beginning October 1st, 1750, we can conclude that the information it contains is current as of 1750 and the very end of the 1740s. In this version, Helvetius's charity is mentioned again, and surprisingly, we find Helvetius described as one of the principal leaders of Freemasonry. The passage follows and requires no further comment here. Again, a passage in French I'm not going to try to read. While this testimony places Helvetius in a much more prominent role at the end of the 1740s than the silence which has surrounded his early Masonic career up to now would have led us to expect, what we know remains meager indeed. It is a fact that documentation for the history of the order before the establishment of the Grand Orient in 1773, and especially for the first half of the century, is fragmentary to a discouraging degree. The dates of the founding of lodges, the identity of their venerables, the names of their members, the accurate identification of those members whose names we find, the dates of individuals' initiation, the dates when lodge ceased to be active, these are a territory enshrouded in thick mist in which only a rare gleam of light is seen from time to time. I have found such a gleam of light on Helvetius in the stacks of the Bibliothèque de l'Institut de France, up under the mansard roof of the Palais de l'Institut, in a set of 18 unnumbered bound volumes of uncatalogued Masonic pamphlets, mainly in the 19th century, but containing a few from the 18th century. This is an eight-page pamphlet containing a poem titled Portrait de Vrai Mekon Ode, signed by a person known to be a protege of Helvetius and precisely dated 20th of April, 1747. The grateful reference to Helvetius in the eighth stanza established this, this as a specific earlier date by which he was a Freemason, member of an unnamed Paris lodge, and distinguished for his generosity towards his fellows. The complete text of the portrait is reprinted as an appendix to this article. The author was Francois-Henri Turpin, native of Caen and professor of rhetoric at the University de Caen, 
who resigned his chair to come to Paris and pursue a literary career. Since he acknowledges the generous patronage of Helvetius and signs himself as Orateur de Une de Lodge de Paris, the inference is inescapable that Helvetius made his acquaintance during the period of apprenticeship which he passed at Cane in anticipation of his appointment in 1739 as a fermier general, especially in light of what we know about his very active participation in the literary life of Cain during his stay. Also, that he had encouraged him to seek his literary fortune in the capital, as he later encouraged Sabatier de Castre, for example, and that he had sponsored his Masonic career. The latter point finds belated confirmation in Turpin's joining the Loge de Neufsur in 1778. Turpin's portrait is dedicated to the worshipful master of the Lodge of France, and is one of the very considerable number of Masonic texts of the 1740s, in verse or in prose, which define the Masonic ideal of character and conduct leading to happiness. This ideal is la sagesse, and the Freemason is a sage. The eighth stanza of the ode gracefully introduces the ideal of Masonic benevolence, or helping others, rather than charity, and in its last six verses, the poet cites his own experience as the object of Helvetius's benevolence. These verses require two comments, one specific and one general. As a close student of Locke, and one who had tried his hand at philosophical epistles in verse and was known to be working on a long-verse treatise on happiness, Helvetius could have desired no higher compliment than to be called Rival de Locke et de Milton, or the rival of Locke and Milton. This comparison evidently became a commonplace among his admirers since some years ago Soren, too, addresses his benefactor as a sublime spirit that rivals Locke and Milton. Turpin's grateful testimony to Helvetius's generous support confirms, of course, the references to his generosity and charity toward his brother Freemasons in the two manuscript police reports we have quoted. The benevolence that he practiced within the order had its wider counterpart in his encouragement and material support of the impecunious men of letters, which was legendary, with the names of Soren, Sabatier, de Castres, Marivaux and Thomas mentioned most frequently as beneficiaries. Finally, this same personal trait came to be celebrated in the numerous anecdotes about good deeds and kindly acts towards his fellow men that circulated in his later years and after his death, all of which serves further to explain what I have referred to as the cult of Helvetius in the Lodge de Nusur. The fact that Turpin identifies himself at the end of the ode as Orator de Une de Lodge de Paris leads to the question, to what Paris Lodge did he, and doubtless his patron and benefactor, belong? If we turn again to the text of the Ode, we find in stanzas 6 through 8 that four living Freemasons are singled out for praise. Procope, Maurice de Saxe, the victor of Fontenoy in 1745, the Comte de Clermont, victor at the siege of Namur in September 1746, and Helvetius. The Comte de Clermont, to whom Turpin dutifully dedicated the ode, had been Grand Master of France since December 1743. Maurice de Saxe had been one of the other two contenders for election to the Grand Mastership. In Paris in 1747, it would have been obligatory to include these two military heroes in any list of illustrious Freemasons, and Turpin introduces them first as proof of the equality which reigns within the order, but his theme was Masonic sagesse, and Clermont at least was hardly an outstanding example of this quality. 
Turpin solved this problem by unobtrusively broadening his announced theme to include both sages and heroes, as we read in the final three verses of the Ode. Helvetius was, of course, a sage, named last in the list of four and thus in the place of honor. But our curiosity is arised by the first name on the list, that of Procope. Certainly, in such a serious poem, no Freemason would be singled out for mention without a reason that would be entirely obvious to contemporaries. To us, however, it is obscure why Turpin included Procope, to whom the last six verses of stanza six are devoted, as symmetrically the reference to Helvetius comes in the last six verses of stanza eight, and the last six verses of the intervening stanza, seven, are divided three and three between Saxe and Clermont. In stanza six, Procope is called a sage, but he is presented in a heroic role as a Masonic Prometheus. Who was Procope? Michael Procope Cotu, 1684-1753, was a son of the Sicilian founder of the famous Café Procope, a swarthy little hunchback who charmed all who knew him, a doctor of medicine who was to become librarian and regent of the Faculty de Medicine late in life, a writer, wit, and bon vivant. He was already a Freemason by 1737, as we know from the fact that his poem entitled Apologie des Francs Maisons first appeared in a manuscript collection with the notation stating that he was a brother of the order. The heroic role that Turpin assigns to Procope as the Prometheus who brought the light of Freemasonry from England to France does not seem to fit in anything that we know of the transmission of English Freemasonry to the continent. It is true that according to one report, he had been initiated in 1718 at Aubigny, hence under the auspices of English Masonry, but the date, at least, is certainly an error. 1718 is just one year after the Grand Lodge of England was organized. Charles, second Duke of Richmond, probably became a Freemason only in March 1724 and was installed as Grand Master of England only in June 1725. And finally, the earliest sure date we know for lodge activity is at Aubigny, the seat of Richard's grandmother, Louise de Carral, his 12th August 1735. If Aubigny was indeed the place where Procope was initiated, and therefore somehow the basis for his Promethean role vis-à-vis English masonry, 1735 would be a plausible date. A more likely explanation of Turpin's eulogistic verses may lie in the fact that Masonic poems and songs of the period very frequently included a passage extolling the wisdom and beneficent influence of the worshipful master of the lodge, and one wonders, therefore, whether we may be able to identify the lodge of Turpin and Helvetius simply by determining the identity of a lodge headed by Procope. Six references to Procope as venerable of a lodge are to be found in documents of the period. One is to a date vaguely earlier than December 1743, four refer to 1744, and one is to January 1746. To give the most obvious example, the Abbey Perrault dedicated his secret de Franc Maisons to Brother Procope, one of the masters of the lodges established in Paris. Only one of the six references names the lodge of which Procope is reported to be the master. On a list of Paris lodges, as of 6 November 1744, which we know through a 1762 copy, most recently studied in Bernheim, he is called Master of the Lodge de la Union, a lodge incidentally that may well have played a much more important role from about 1745 onward that has been recognized. This information conflicts with other documents, however. Alain Lebehin, in publishing his extensive and authoritative research in Masonic archives, finds that the Lodge de la Union 
was not warranted by the Grand Lodge until 28 May 1746, and that Durette was its venerable. We have to remember that the normal practice in French Freemasonry until much later in the century was that the masters of lodges held their post for life. However, Bernheim, in the study cited, suggests that Durette might have succeeded Procope. In his history, Gustave Borde had likewise listed Durette as master of Leunion, but he gave the date of its warranting as 16th May 1744. Thus, whichever of the dates 1744 or 1746 we accept, we have to question the single document that identifies Procope as Venerable of Le Union in 1744. All that we can really say is that in the mid-1740s, he was widely believed to be the master of a Paris lodge, that there is serious doubt that his lodge was the Lodge de Le Union, and that we do not know the name of his lodge or anything else about it, except that it is likely that Helvetius and Turpin belonged to it. In these circumstances, we can feel some curiosity over not finding further references to Procope as master of a lodge between the January 1746 mention of his death in 1753. Since his apology proves that Procope was a Freemason by early 1737, we must consider as an alternative the possibility that the reference to him in Turpin's ode is not to be taken as implying that he was venerable of the lodge to which Turpin and Helvetius belonged, and turn instead to the lodges which had been founded by the mid-1730s to identify his Paris lodge affiliation, and possibly Helvetius's affiliation also. In this earlier period, for which the documentation is even scarcer than we have seen it to be for the 1740s, the research of Chevalier has cast additional light on the lodge O. Louis de Argent and suggests a connection with Procope. We have what is probably a partial list of members, which include the name of the Duc de Piquignet, younger brother of the Duc de Charles. We know from a Gazetin of August 1737 that Procope was a member of the inner circle of friends of the Chalons family, and the ever-cautious Chevalier therefore believes that Procope was perhaps a member of the Louis d'Argent. Add to this that the Louis d'Argent had been formally warranted by the Grand Lodge of England 3rd of April 1732, and that some of its members had close ties with England, which might somehow account for Turpin's allusion to Procope as the Prometheus who brought Freemasonry from England to France. And add to this, too, that the youthful Helvetius was l'amant en titre of the Duchess de Piquigny. But all this is mere speculation mentioned here only for record, in the total absence of documentation, and the same is true for the quite different possibility that Helvetius and Turpin might have discovered Freemasonry together in Cain, since there exists evidence pointing toward the existence of a lodge in that city in 1738. Starting from the widely known fact that the account of Voltaire's initiation established that Helvetius was a Freemason, we have reviewed what little is known about Helvetius' living role as founder of the Lodge de Science and his posthumous role in the Lodge de Neufsur, the concept of which was his. We have added to this information the fact that Helvetius became a Freemason much earlier in his career than has been thought, at a still unknown date before 1747, in a still unidentified lodge and that by 1749 or 1750, he could be called one of the principal leaders of Freemasonry in Paris. This is a meager harvest, but the documentation at hand is meager. Let us hope that additional documents will be found as others carry forward their work on both Helvetius and 18th century Freemasonry. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. 
We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.